Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 73 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Here's a little update here. Uh, I am posting this today uh, when it goes live. It'll be December 23rd, and I will be taking next week, next Wednesday, off. I want to spend some time with my family here for the holiday, and I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. I know a lot of people celebrate different things. Um, I celebrate Christmas, so Merry Christmas to everyone. If you don't celebrate Christmas, I just want to wish you a happy holiday. I wish nothing but the best for you and yours, and Happy New Year as well. I hope everyone has a safe and happy holiday season this year. I am, however, on Monday dropping a new episode, a track-by-track episode, which I'm really excited for everybody to hear. It's over an incredible album that came out a couple years ago. It's so good. The guest is is so great. And he drops some exclusive news at the end of the episode, which uh, is going to be really exciting for fans of this gentleman and fans of the mandolin in general, I think. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that. That'll be on Monday next week. In other exciting mandolin news, Peghead Nation has a new Zoom course coming out with Sharon Gilchrist called Melodic Embellishment, A Doorway to Improvisation. The series is designed for beginning to intermediate level mandolinists and players of other instruments tuned to fifths who are looking to start improvising or to increase their improvisational skills. It's going to be held every other Saturday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the East. And that's starting Saturday, January 16th and ending the 24th. And uh, Sharon's going to be going over like common bluegrass tunes like Old Joe Clark, Whiskey Before Breakfast, June Apple, uh, Angelina Baker, and more to demonstrate her method for teaching students how to embellish and vary melodies as a way to begin to improvise. Sharon's awesome, as you can't really really go wrong. And um, just learning, that's a big thing that comes up all the time, improvisation. Um, The fee for the eight-part workshop is 200 bucks, which is a great deal. And in addition to admittance to all eight workshops, students will get PDFs, notation and tab, audio MP3s of each tune, as well as access to recordings of each workshop. And then also the recordings will be available to students a week after each class in case you can't make it to the class or if you want to review what you learned. I'll have the link at mandolinsandbeer.com or you can go to Peghead Nation as well. I also want to thank my sponsors this week, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And again, if you're not following them on Instagram, you are missing out on some incredible mandolin pictures every single week. I also want to thank Ear Trumpet Labs, who again, this episode, like last episode, gets a shout out from the uh, player here. Rich uses the Edwina, which I also just got and absolutely love. And if you're not familiar with Ear Trumpet Labs, you're definitely familiar. You've seen them before. They're so cool looking. Uh, but they hand build microphones in Portland, Oregon. The mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. You can check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. And... You know, it's never too late to order that holiday gift for yourself or the mandolin lover in your world. And last, definitely not least, Ellis Mandolins. Handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. So there you go for the sponsors. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all for um, all you've done. Thank you to my new patrons. I really appreciate y'all. I've got a brand new thing coming up in Patreon that I'm kicking off kicking off that's the keyword in january um i don't want to get too far ahead of myself it's a lot of work but i'm i'm neck deep into it right now so pretty excited about that 
And Rich has got a great website as well. I'll have the link to that as mandolinsandbeer.com. He's got great stuff. Rich is a killer player. Great guy. What a, uh, what a great conversation with this man. And um, some great stories as well in this one. So cheers, everybody. Have a safe and happy holiday season. Happy New Year. Check out Track by Track next week. And let's get into the episode with Rich. Cheers, everyone. And now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Rich Del Grosso. Rich, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm doing just fine, hanging in there. Right on. And you're uh, you're out there in, in Texas, Houston, Texas? Houston, Texas. Yeah, man. And so you and I, I did not really realize this. Um, you know, where I'm at, it's like 71 degrees, and I just assumed because you're in the southern region that it would probably be that as well. But you're you got a little cold front blowing through there. Oh yeah, like um, you know we. Had- we always get at this time of year the, the the cold fronts coming down off the plains, the Great Plains. All that cold air comes down out of the Arctic and just sweeps straight down. And then it hits the warm Gulf, and then we get all kinds of thunderstorms and rain and stuff. So, yeah, were you were you affected much by you guys had a terrible storm season uh, on that side of the on that side of the water this year? All those hurricanes, yeah. The- Believe it or not, I mean, every one that was was seen and come, as coming, you know, predicted as coming here actually deflected. And unfortunately, all of them hit Louisiana to the east of us and or or the eastern part of Texas, like Beaumont. But uh, nothing, we never got anything. We had sunny days in Houston when everybody else was getting torrential downpours, you know. Wow. So we were lucky that we we lucked out this year. We've we've had our share of hurricanes in the past. So. Yeah, same here. So one of the things we were talking about before we started is uh, kind of during this downtime, you've really been doing a lot of the online learning with people all over the world. Yeah, it's great. I've I've, I've, you know, I've always done lessons online. When I was touring, it was harder to do because I I had blocks of time where I wasn't available. Uh, but uh, being home like I am now, um, I've got lots of time, and apparently so do a whole bunch of other people. So, they, <laughs> you know, I've picked up people, and it, and it's uh, as we were talking, it's it's an awesome thing to have this ability to reach out to people from across the globe. I mean, you know, I, 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 I for a while now that my student had to drop out for a bit, but for a while I was teaching a, a guy in in um, Perth, Australia. Where I was, I was going online at seven p.m. on Thursday, and he was getting online with me at seven a.m. on Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And he's having coffee, <laughs> having a beer, and and we're you know it's like, <laughs> but it's um you know it's it's a wonderful thing, and I got uh, a whole bunch of great students. They uh, they all don't you know I don't just do uh, blues though because and that's a lot of people want other music. Uh, you know, so I'm doing all, and they stretch me. They they push me into areas that I haven't tried, and that's fun. Oh man, yeah, that's the best part. I think about teaching is when you have to learn something that's out of your wheelhouse, and the last thing you want to do is <laughs> look weird teaching it. So it really, you know, you you work harder to to uh, make it happen for them. Yeah. Oh, that's great, yeah. man. How do if people want to sign up for that? What's the best way to get a hold of you? 
Well, the best way to deal with that is through my website, mandolinblues.com. Perfect. Um, and I'll have links for that on my website yeah. and on all the social media stuff, too. Yeah. And and uh, by going into the site, clicking on my picture at the, at the, at the front of it, uh, opens up the, the site. And uh, there is a page that says Lessons. Um, and then it explains how to do it. Now, I want to... I want to talk a little bit about your book. So first off, you, one of the um, one of the best written mandolin method books I think I've ever purchased, and I buy a ton of them, is your Mandolin Blues from uh, the From Memphis to Maxwell Street book. It is, it's it's like a history lesson as you're going through it. You learn so much about the styles of music and and just the why things happen and 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 how it works. How did, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about how you uh, came up with that book because it's it's wonderful. Well, it, it essentially was a culmination of all of the, the the lessons and research and and stuff that I've been doing over the years. I mean, I started I started with finding blues on the mandolin in the seventies, early seventies, and it's and not creating. You know, some people think, "Wow, you just make up stuff," and I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm learning from the the early recordings in the 20s and 30s of great black mandolin players and uh, and I had a chance to work with Yank Rachel who was a, is an iconic blues man on the mandolin. And Howard Armstrong, and uh, I didn't get to know Carl Martin, but Howard Armstrong, you know, we spent many years together, and... got so many ideas and I'm just grateful to Hal Leonard that you know when I approached them on I said you know I, I should put all this stuff together and, and make it would be one of a kind book that uh, people could learn from and they, they they said yeah let's do it and it's been successful I mean I, and, and I appreciate that and, and the format of it too now with you know like the mp3s you go to Hal Leonard's little mp3 player and there everything's right there and so you got the book you got you can pull the music up you can slow it down you can loop things it's really cool man yeah that's that well that's a fairly recent change I mean for the longest time uh it was coming with a little uh, uh plastic packet with a cd and oh sure <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing the, I, I still remember the my mandolin method books with Hal leonard the early days and that was back in the 70s they were shipping those out with a a flap and a little packet with a uh, mini cassette on it. You know? Oh, wow. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I still got that's my part of my history lesson, of my historic collection. Yeah, man. 
And you got a couple other books, though, too. You got the Mandolin Method books. So they're not just blues stuff. So if people are listening, and again, if you want to take lessons and not just blues lessons, you've, you're a real well rounded player. Well, thank you. I, what, what, my, my real uh, happiness with that Mandolin Method, what I wanted to do, and I approached them with that, I said, I, I believe that people should music. Uh, because if you read the, if you can read music, I, I taught myself to read music on the mandolin because when I first started playing mandolin, there was, I didn't know where to go. Right. You know? I mean, there really, there's this explosion of, of music everywhere and YouTube and all that. But in the day, uh, there was very little that was there. And I was learning to play old time songs and, and believe it or not, I did a lot of Celtic music. Oh, cool. And, and I wanted to learn how to play, you know, the, the I would work with a, uh, a little group and we were playing contra dances and, and square dances. And, and I wanted to find the music. I wanted to learn the music so I could join them. And they were all kinds of fiddle books, but they don't, they don't have tab, you know, <laughs> right? They're fiddle books with, and I mean, you got uh, O'Neill's Irish collection, the collection of uh, O'Neill's, oh, which massive. is like, <laughs> yeah, massive is right. It's got 20, 20 tunes on it and, you know, everything, all the different styles of dance music in the, in the Celtic tradition. And so I had to teach myself how to play those, how to read the music. And I thought, what a benefit if you can read the music. You, you have a, the whole world of music open to you. You can pick up piano books and things and figure out melodies from it. Um, and so I, I, I geared my mandolin method, uh, method one and two, to learning how to play notes, how to play the mandolin by reading music. And there's, uh, especially by, by, you get, by the time you get to book two, there's no tab in it at all, you know, or very little, only when it's something needed to be explained in a tab form, uh, you know, like position on the neck or something, which can using to people. Wow, that's um, great, man. Yeah, so I, and the the response that I've had has been fantastic. I've had I've had people who teach classes and mandolin classes contact me to tell me how much they appreciate that. And I so I'm I, I feel uh, like I've done something, you know. That's great too because I see that a lot. That seems to be a question that gets asked a lot, like on the mandolin cafe or something. Like, um, you know, like how how do you go from tab to reading music? And I think it's again, it's such like an, an invaluable source to be able to pull up some of those old fiddle tunes from like even old time sites, where the, oh, there's this huge massive resource of p fiddle music for every mandolin player in the world to get to get. And it's, you just need to read music and it's just, you know, eighth notes for the most part all the time. You can just figure that out. There's a whole world at your fingertips. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you start playing mandolin? I'm Italian. What, what do you think? <laughs> um, actually, uh, well, it is, it is related because uh, I remember when I was in high school, I went with my mom and dad and brother and to Italy on it to the first time to meet the family. And it was a very special trip and I wanted to take something home to commemorate the trip. And I was playing guitar then. I was a rock and roll garage band, real the real garage band, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> um uh rock and roll, you know, playing um uh, Rolling Stones and Beatles and stuff like that. 
And um, we uh, on this trip, I saw a mandolin in a music shop, and I thought, you know, I should get one of those to carry home on the plane. Uh, maybe I should try that. And I got an old bullback Neapolitan, not an old one. It was relatively new at the time, you know, sure. but it was the style, you know, yeah, that yeah. Neapolitan big bullback style and i and so i that's where i started playing and i started picking on it i uh, i started out not knowing what to do with it and i tuned the strings to an open chord and was playing them open and i i'll never forget i was at a, a music jam party with some other folks and uh one of a musician i really respected who could play all kinds of things wanted to play the mandolin and he picked it up and he goes, what the, What did you do? And I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I tuned it to an open. He said, why don't you learn to play it like you're supposed to? <laughs> that's, that's great. And that, and that that kicked me in the pants because, I, I, like I said, I respected the guy. I thought, God, I feel, I feel like a fool. So uh, that's what I did. That's when I started, you know, going through, well, here's a G string. Now that's an A and that's a C and, you know, and, and learning the chords and learning uh, learning how to play. And that's how I started. What type of what styles of music were you uh, were you trying to play on the mandolin at first? Were you like just trying to stick with like the garage rock, or were you sticking with Italian music because it, it was where you? No, came on from? the mandolin, I was I was doing what was traditional for mandolin. You mm -hmm. know, it was cool. The old old timey old time uh, tunes and and like I said, the Celtic really kicked in because once I started playing the mandolin, I found people that. You know, wanted to wanted me to join them in the contra dances and things. Yeah, and play play with the band and and you really learn the tunes when you do that because you know for a dance you play the tune probably three hundred times. Over unless you unless you got a good conductor with the group and and he changes the tune midway so you're not getting totally bored. But uh, I learned a lot like that. Yeah. Did, did you ever did you ever dig into bluegrass? No, you know, I, I never got into the bluegrass. I I have recently because people have asked me to show them how to play some. Uh, and uh um but I never really, you know, it's funny. Well, it, it's it's the speed thing, you know. I can't uh I'm just not uh not crazy about the the speed of everything, you know. Everything really, but about you know. Sure. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it, it's it's not my thing. I I think, and it's cool. I love hearing it. I love, uh, uh, you know. I can do chops, you know. But sure. Uh, you know, I used to I used to get crack up when when I worked at the symposium and and dog. Get me up, you know. I was up with the staff in the staff concert, and he want want to do something at the end. You know, I would I would do my thing in the concert, but he'd like all the staff to join in on a jam at the end. And you know, let's do uh, Darktown Strutter's Ball. You know, and so and he would kick it off. You know, and he'd be, brum, 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 you know, I'm going oh shit. <laughs> what am I gonna do? I. I tried really hard to you know throw some bluesy style things in it but uh having not really learned it i was uh i was i was floating sure man that's you know? yeah that's cool we'll have to get back to how you uh how you uh met up with dog and got into the symposium because that's a i mean to get asked to that symposium you know those that's like the top shelf of of you know of your style of music in on that instrument that's amazing uh, 
my years at Symposium were the highlights of my life, man. Yeah, I bet. Well, let's there. talk. Let's talk about it real quick. How how did you get into that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I I mean, I was uh, I I had done some writing for uh, Mandolin World News, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. At, at some point, Dog and 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 Mike uh, contacted me and said. We want you to come and join us and do a, a blues thing for us, you know. Do a can you you know do a blues class? They were aware of my writing and and the books and stuff. This is before the man the blues book because this was a few years ago. Um, well, so, well, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. At any rate, uh, they contacted me and said, "Be willing to do it." And I said, "Sure." You know, I'd love to do that. And so, you know, they brought me out to Santa Cruz. And, and for about four or five years, I was part of the staff. Um, you know, when I got into those situations on stage, you know, where it's like I'm competing, you know, it, it becomes a, um, uh, <laughs> uh, God, what do they call it in the guitar world? It's a, uh, I can't pull that out of my head. It's like when you're you're trying to. It's called head chopping. Oh, cutting heads. Yeah, cutting heads. Yeah. Let's see how fast we can kick it off and and leave this guy dwindling. You know, just dangling. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I I remember the first year I I, I pulled dog aside and I said, man, I, this has been a wonderful time and I I really appreciate you asking, but I don't feel worthy. And he said, what? He said. He said, you're worthy. We, we've got you here, not because you can't do what we do. It's because we can't do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thought, that's great. Oh, yeah. He, he just, uh, he took me under his wing. And, you know, I always think of him as my godfather. Um, uh, he always, um, you know, he always did great things for me. And I, I appreciate him and Mike. And all of the staff, you know, to be on, to be involved in a week with Don Sternberg and another good friend. Danilo and Dudu from Brazil, uh, you know, um, I've got great stories about that stuff. Um, um, if, if you want another story, I remember one night and we'd open the week with staff doing introductions, you know, mm-hmm. and so um, <laughs> I got the uh, um, uh, Mike and Katerina Lichtenberg are also good friends, you know, and they they got up and they performed a duo, uh, a duet, classical duet that they had sat down and wrote an hour before the concert. Oh I my mean, God. They, yeah, you know that's that's what, who I'm dealing with. Here. And I I got up, you know, I got up and I, after listening to that, dog goes, Rich, why don't you do something? And I just. <laughs> I'm going, Holy shit. And um, 
And I said, look, I, I said, this reminds me of a story in, in the rock and roll world. Um, there was a concert when uh, Chuck Berry uh, was headlining a concert that Jerry Lee Lewis was in. And Jerry Lee was complaining that he was not the headliner. And they said, look, Chuck Berry's got like five or six hit records. You've just got great balls of fire. So you're not the headliner. And Jerry goes, oh, okay. So he got up before Chuck and he did his piano thing and he was rocking the stage and he's rocking and it's building dynamically throughout the set. And finally he gets to um, uh, great balls of fire and he's, he's playing and he gets up and kicks the, the, the seat off the stage and he th dumps whiskey into the piano and sets it on fire. You got flames coming out, smoke coming out. The crowd is going ape. And he walks off the stage and looks at Chuck Berry and goes, follow that. <laughs> and I said, right now, I feel like Chuck Berry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Mike and Katarina, are the, they're great. And you know, Don, you know Danilo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Charlotte, I mean, he was, with the end of the, end of the week, we had a big concert with the staff involved. And uh, <laughs> I looked at, uh, and I'm going to uh, interrupt right here with a little edit. Uh, Rich is a heck of a guy, and this made me even like him even more. He sends me an email maybe ten minutes after the podcast was done, and he sends me this email. And the name of the coordinator of the symposium is Stephen. Uh, Ruffo or Rufo, R-U-F-F-O. And he really wanted to be sure that um, I was able to to drop his name in there because he was such a great person and um, wanted to make sure that he got his name in the podcast for all the help he gave him and such. So the fact that he took the time to send me an email and, and to give me the name of the coordinator, I thought was just an amazing thing. So anyway, back to the podcast. Well, they, they were organizing the concert list for the final concert and I look at it and I'm following Danilo to them and I said why why did you do that and he says because nobody else would do it <laughs> <laughs> and they said no nobody else could do it and I understood that what they meant was I'm so different you know that uh, nobody's going to compare how did you find yourself getting so into the blues as far as mandolin goes uh, well that's the arc uh, uh, I was uh, performing at the arc with uh, Maureen my first wife and we were doing a lot of we we did blues. She played piano. I played guitar blues. But then we then then she played guitar, and I play old time or Celtic on the mandolin. Um, and so one night, David Siglin at the Ark, who's the owner, he turned to me and he said, "Have you ever heard of Johnny Young?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Johnny Young plays mandolin. He's a blues player from Chicago that plays mandolin." Just a sweet 
And I thought, he said, you should find the music. And I found a recording that he did with Otis Spann, who's like the, one of the great blues singers and piano players, um, uh, doing a duet together. And it knocked me off the chair. It was so amazing and so cool with the mandolin weaving in and out of the piano lines and uh and then johnny singing and and i said damn i should we can do that i want to do that and so i just started pursuing i i started going to record bins and and you know looking for records because at the time we didn't have the we there was no itunes and all of that there was no internet yeah. man to type in blues mandolin <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so i was i was going through and i i knew that string the black string bands and the and the jug bands had variety of instrumentation, and I started discovering people like Charlie McCoy and Val Stevens, and um, you know, uh, and then of course I then I I met up with uh, Howard Armstrong lived in Detroit, and Howard Armstrong was a treasure. Uh, he he and the band the Martin Bogan and the Armstrongs. They were the last of the Mississippi, the black string bands they were advertised at. Rachel, I got to spend time with Yank Rachel, uh, and so I was just picking up music and more music. And then at that time, see it somehow gained in popularity. This mandolin blues. There were more and more players that seemed interested and were doing it. And the, the recordings were coming out of the woodwork. You know, re uh, um, what do you call them? Uh, Re-releases of old records of, and I've got. There's a uh, on my website. Go to the story of the blues on the mandolin. Uh, there's a. It looks like a uh, an old um, record disc. Where you click on that, there's a um, a discography, and I've listed you know a whole a whole sheet of all kinds of people and their recordings. Oh, sweet. Yeah, there, there's a whole catalog of of all the things, and most of it's you know. Most of it's pre-war blues. Johnny Young and, and Yank Rachel were the only two uh, that came out of the, the post-war era, uh, at least at the start of it. Yank Rachel kept recording up until uh, the 90s. Um, Martin Bogan, well, when, uh, when Carl Martin passed away, um, Howard did his own recordings. Um, and uh, But I'd spent time at Augusta Heritage Arts with Howard Armstrong, I, I, I was coordinating their Blues Week, and I'd always bring Howard with me from Detroit. And and we did mandolin duets. Um, you know, he taught me, he taught me, he taught me so much of life and everything else. He was my mentor in in life, and he was also a uh, illustrator. 
and uh, and and I do illustration, so the, the, we really hit it off big. And uh, I love the guy. Um, we we do do as he taught me how to show off. You know, <laughs> right. he, he, he called us showing out. And, uh, you know, he would put the mandolin behind his head and then I would do the same thing and the crowd would go nuts. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so, um, so that's, that's how the mandolin blues all came about. Man, that's amazing. It's amazing that you have some people too, that you got to, uh, you know, have become mentors to you that were big names in that style of music. That's, that's like invaluable stuff. Oh, absolutely, and I like between Yank and Howard, they were they were my uh, windows on the twenties, you know, because they all grew up playing music in the nineteen twenties. This when the mandolin was big in the nineteen twenties, right? You know, uh, the whole Gibson the mandolin, you know, and Martin and all the all of the companies making mandolins. Um, so they were my window on that they talked about people that they knew that were playing and stuff and uh i think it was probably howard had mentioned charlie mccoy and i thought charlie mccoy um, um you know people think charlie mccoy the harmonica player in country harm Charlie McCoy was the brother of Kansas Joe McCoy, and um, he's got records. He, he put a band together in Chicago when they moved to Chicago. He put a band together called the Harlem Hamfats. And, you know, it's crazy music because you got mandolin, guitar, sax, and piano. You know, it's like, um, it's wonderful stuff. I think Mike Compton, when I had him on, he, was, he had brought up Charlie. And uh, I got to dig deep after that one. I'm like, holy cow, this is amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mike, Mike, Mike is really into it, too. You know, it's very... He was um, one of the first uh, mandolin players that I got to know that was really interested in the blues. People would turn me to him and say, you should talk to him, man. He's into this too, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we became friends. And I, and I taught, he brought me up to the mandolin camp, the, the uh, Monroe camp. And, and I taught uh, one, one camp. I taught, he wanted me to teach blues to the mandolin players, the, the bluegrass players. And I'd be able to show them the connections, where the blues connects with the bluegrass, you know. It, what's cool, too, is if you listen to Mike Compton, who I would definitely consider like bluesy styled, but more like Monroe bluesy styled, you know, where and then listening to you in your bluesy style, it's a whole nother feel. The one thread that runs through all your records, your your solo record, then the, even the live from Bluesville and then the uh, the rag picker string band. The one thing that I get out of them all is feel. Huh. 
killer feel. <laughs> well, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. That's, 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 that's what I find different for me. The distinction between the blues and the bluegrass is that the blues has more opportunity for, for emotion and, and, um, uh, well, emoting and you're basically singing with the instrument, you know, uh, whereas the, the bluegrass, my experience with bluegrass is it's really, it's about, uh, it's about pushing the song ahead and, and, you know, it's got that energy. I love the energy of bluegrass, you know, um, uh, but you know, like I, 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 I used to, when I was teaching at the blues camps, the blues programs, you'd sit in a blues jam and everybody had a song and everybody could play. And though the great thing about blues, blues is that you can just do a 12 bar blues in G and tell them, well, here's a song, but it's a 12 bar in G. Then everybody picks up on it and everybody can play, but you play with some other genres, like even bluegrass. If you don't know the song, you can be lost. You oh, know? yeah. You get one of those crooked uh, fiddle tunes, and you're like, oh, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, especially the crooked ones. Yeah. Um, and and I noticed that when I sat down to jam, I went to a beginner's jam in the bluegrass, you know, the Monroe, and everybody just started out, you know, this, uh, somebody would kick it off, and, and everybody's, I'm watching their hands, and they're all going up and down, and up and down, and up and down, and I'm going, man, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was built for, I was built for comfort, not for speed. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, after the, uh, what was the first mandolin that you got after you got the, uh, when you started playing, like, after the bullback? Gibson A. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. I still got that, baby. Oh, do you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. An old Gibson. I beat the hell out of it, but it's a, it, it was a beautiful instrument. Gibson A4. I've, I, I've got a, a two, or, two or three different Gibsons. Uh, yeah, the kind of collection my wife uh, gives me a hell of a time about it, you know. <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, the Gibson A, and and the reason being, I I tried uh, like an F style, but the neck is different on the F than it is on the A. The A, the A has a wider neck, and it's not as V'd in the back. You know, it's more rounded um, underneath the neck, and it fits my hand. I've got big hands. I've got big big fingers. I can't tell you every gig that I've done. Somebody would ask me, how does a big guy like you play a little thing like that? <laughs> um, but the, the Gibson A neck really helped me accomplish that. I love the Gibson A sound too. Those old Gibsons, like the, like the 17, 18, two, or 20s. Oh. Yeah. And you, and, and you know what? The ones I've got there, they're still good. And that's what, a, over 100 years old. And they still. They, they play great and they sound great, but the, yeah, you're right. That was the other thing. The tone on that a was it has more of a deeper, f more full tone. The the F is designed to project, and 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 you know it's more more treble sounding. You know, I guess with the lack of a better word. Uh, and so, I just gravitated to the A, and I stayed with it for a long time. Uh, the only time I very then was when I was trying to play um, in bands, like uh, playing in um, 
So what I found that happened is I put pickups on the on the Gibson A's, you know, on the I put um well Diarman, yeah, it makes a real nice hanging pickup. It's basically a microphone that hangs underneath the strings. Uh, uh you know, it's a, it's likewise a vintage thing, you know. Uh but it worked really well. But um that Gibson, you know, if I get up on a on a in a bar with a blues band, anytime they play, I would be I'd be sitting at the bar ready, ready to get up, and I'd be holding my Gibson, and the band as soon as the bass started playing a G, the mandolin started vibrating. <laughs> it was it was resonating. It was picking up the you know the. <laughs> <laughs> and it was going a lot, and I, I'm, I'm holding on to it. And, and if I got up on stage, anytime somebody hit a hard G, I had to be careful to mute mine if I wasn't playing it because it would start feeding back, you know. And so I got tired of wrestling because the the more I played with those bands, the louder they got. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah, I know the I know the problem. <laughs> But it was, but you know, it's it's called making money and and touring with the band. So um, I then discovered the national, uh, the resonator, the RM1. They came out with a, uh, they uh, they came up with a brand new model um, of a resonator mandolin where they make use a solid body instead of the hollow. They used to make in the twenties. They made uh, resonator mandolins, but they were like little little guitar bodies, you know, the side, the top. Um, but they didn't last very long. I think the resonator used to just break them up or something, the vibration. But, um, I mean, I've got a metal-bodied one, which is crazy. It, it sounds like a tin can. But, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, they used them in the early jug bands, you know, because because of that resonant, that sound and the resonance. Sure. You know, they could, they could play above the din of all the people going, you know, all that, <laughs> right. yeah. You know what I mean? All that bottom um, end stuff. Yes. Um, and so this RM1, they created one by using a, a block of wood, a block of maple, and, and carving it with a, um, a computer driven lathe, you know. And um, they'd carve the body, carve out a well, and then they carved out. Which is really cool. They carve out these little resonance chambers underneath where the cone is going to sit. So they scooped it out. It, it sort of looks like the uh, uh, what was underneath the Colosseum. You know, if you've ever seen pictures of that, they used to, you know, all those little labyrinths. It looks like a little labyrinth underneath, and it really does work. And the resonator sits on top. You put a uh, plate on top of that, um, and it's it's got amazing resonance. Uh, that's the mandolin that I played on uh, Time Slips On By, if you have my recording time. I used it on that, and I used it. In fact, it's on. Um, it's on. Get your nose out of my business. I, that was the first record 
uh, that I use the the resonator mandolin. I think I, if you look on the back of the record, I think you, I put a picture of it on the back, uh, and in in the in the artwork inside, I did too. Yeah, so that was I, I used that, I believe. If I'm losing it, <laughs> I'm not, not responsible. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's and it's. At the the uh, and uh, National came up with a, a plate that has a built-in Dunlop pickup in it, and and that works great. So I can just plug in with the band, and when the when the drums start hitting harder and the guitar player goes into Mach five, uh, I just crank it up. You know, I said, "Okay, here we go," <laughs> and I can compete. You know, I yeah. hate do you, do you do you play it? Do you play in an amp or do you plug direct? Oh. No, no, I, um, I, I, that that particular instrument, I would, I would play in an amp, um, and um, yeah, I've tried all different kinds of amps. It works best with that pickup. It works best in a in a cabinet. It's got all tens in it, you know. Oh, sure. Not designed to drive twelve inch speakers, but um, you know, I get a good sound. But I'll tell you the the best. My for me the best sound with the mandolin is uh, um, a nice large diaphragm microphone sitting in the front of me, and where I've got one that's called an ear trumpet. I don't know if you know those. I just got one from them. Yeah, I got the Edwina from them. Oh, that's that's mine. Yeah, it's I, killer. I, I, I love that because I can set that up and I can sing and play, and I won't feed back. Um, and I love that because these instruments have so much more it, when you, when you electrify them, it, they lose, they lose their resonance. They lose their tone. They sound like electric guitars with, you know, little strings. And so for me playing, I can nuance sound out of the mandolin. I can get dynamic and not, not a, get overbearing um you know i can change the dynamics and that's my favorite so from if i get back into performing which god willing i can um that's what i, I i'm going to stress you know when people say you want to come and do something i'll say i'll, I'll do it if i can do an acoustic set i'm not gonna i don't want to and besides playing with a band is a pain in the butt <laughs> right, right. So, sorry guys <laughs> If you've ever played in a band, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, do you um, were you playing with drums a lot when you were traveling around? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's um, uh, uh, one great thing about your recordings, though, is the mix when there are drums on the recordings, and like you have a harmonica and and, and uh, mandolin and bass and drums. The mixes are great, though. I mean, it, you would expect a mandolin to just get buried and lost in those frequencies and you did a great job of making sure that didn't happen yeah well i i was blessed with uh, good people at the board and they were they were able to get the right sound that i, that I wanted for it and uh, and, and the, the recordings are diverse you know like there's a a, a, a bit of time between I get your nose out of my business and time slips on by. I did time slips on by in, in Austin, um, you know, but uh, uh, nose out of my business I did in California, uh, mixed in LA and Bakersfield. Uh, 
again, you know, it's like I was blessed to have people on the on the recordings that uh, I really I really admire and like. And um, yeah, the Rag Pickers. God, where do we we did that in 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 Austin too. Man, that Rag Pickers album so good as well. And again, like a completely different, completely different thing. what we do like if you if you hired the three of us that's what it would sound like no overdubbing and and you know all kinds of other instruments my producer was really pushing on it you know he in the in the booth he was going you know that needs that could sound really good with an accordion or something and i'm i'm going but we don't have an accordion you know we we had we used an accordion on time slips on by but um, but I can see what happens. Then you go on the road with that, and the, the record, the, the tracks with the accordion are missing the accordion. We don't we didn't carry, we couldn't afford to carry everybody along. In fact, John and the guitar player and I, when when I toured that record, it was just the two of us. When we pick up uh, rhythm sections and other people on the road, now that's Chuck Berry style right there. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, like for Chuck, it uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah. Man, I think when I first moved to Charleston and I was looking through, and I could be wrong, but I swear this, I remember this when I was getting ready to call you was, did you play, did you guys do like library tours or you might have played a library function type of thing here in Charleston as a duo? <laughs> we did that. That was, that was, that <laughs> That was uh, the the what was it? There's a blues shrimp. Festival oh yeah, shrimp shrimp city slim. <laughs> shrimp city slims uh, yeah. brought brought us to town, and we did a lot of duo things. Um, and yeah, we played a library. We played one of the bars. Playing bars like a duo like that, people just talk through it. You know, it's like yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, I know it's a story of my life. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I wish I would have. Um, I saw it. I caught it after I was just flipping through one of the things. And I'm like, oh, no way, man. And, um, you know, it had already gone by, of course, but that would have been cool to see. Yeah, and we played a church, too, I remember. Oh, okay. Probably the, was it the uh, circular church, maybe? I think you're right. You're right. Real yeah. cool room, good sound. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was my my first shrimp and grits, you know. Oh, I, I, good stuff. Yeah, so that was the part of a uh, one leg of a tour as we were going through the the southeast, and we timed it with that. That was fun. I I wanted to talk about two songs in particular off of the uh, Kitchen Knows Out of My Business, though, and the first one is Dive and Duck because. 
literally, if somebody wanted to just learn blues mandolin and be like, what is blues mandolin like? That is a literal tour de force. on that song for a long time and get I think as much as you could possibly use listening to that it's so cool man thank you thank you yeah that's that's on the resonator too I think I, th- I think I used the resonator a lot um and uh, that was the first time in fact now I recall I was at a show uh the National Association of Music Makers um, uh, they have one in LA and I was at the NAM show and I went to the national booth and they had this new mandolin, the RM1. And I sat down and was, they wanted me to play it with and jam with people. And I was, and, um, I, I took them aside and I said, man, I'm going to do an, a recording and I'm bringing Pine Top Perkins in for it. Oh, wow. And I, I would really love to have, to use this mandolin on it. And they said, take it home and use it. And so that was born. There, the that was yeah. Um, and, and Diamond Blues, you know, is from Yank Rachel. You know, I just uh, I love the his style. Um, I don't know if uh, people are familiar with his style, but the man is is very unique in what he plays, and he his picking style, especially. Um, he got me hooked on it. I do it a lot. When uh, more than uh, than I should, but it, it's a upstroking instead of down picking. You know, picking down, he would stroke up. And uh, there's a little video on my website of Yank uh, playing. There's a the wonderful thing from um, the Newport Folk, I think it was, where he's working with Johnny John Estes, and it's this is a '70s era video that's crystal clear. You'd think it was HD. And you can see Yank when he plays his solo, and it's all upstrokes, all these crazy fast upstrokes. But it really changes the dynamics of the music, changes the um, the uh, orientation of the notes. You know, if you're picking the higher note over the lower note first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And so that groove, that little if you play it with upstroke sounds different than down and, and it's uh, I think more dynamic and, and very cool um, I'm glad you I'm glad you like that oh I love it man and I love the playing with the with the singing too uh, well and, and that was the, something I learned from Yank and I asked him I said how do you describe your style he said well I sing what I play and I play what I sing <laughs> and, and and what he meant was, I mean, he really does. When when you listen to his recordings, almost all, he's playing a melody on the mandolin while he's singing the melody. Um, and it's a really interesting style, you know. Uh, he's he's not doing chord chops and all. He's 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 playing he's playing a melody, uh, which is very cool. That that was a 
a characteristic of a lot of the blues people in the in the 20s era, even the guitar players. You know, the slide guitar, you know, was born out of the bottleneck slide was born out of the ability of the, that slide style to sound like a voice. And so many of the guitar players would sing while they played that thing. Um, you know, it's very cool. I also love walking blues. The the progression, the rhythm to that song is just awesome, man. wanted to do i wanted to, to, to maintain that delta the delta blues on the guitar was that the, the driving rhythm is the downbeat you know, boom 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 doo, 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 boom you know that kind of thing and so uh so that's what i did i i, I, I just i these are this is stuff that i used to play on guitar you know and so when i adapted to the mandolin um it just felt felt right it felt natural and uh that that ends up with a real drive i appreciate that thank you and that's what i love about this book too is because it really does run you through all these different styles there's so many different i mean again i played blues guitar um before i played um mandolin and i would i you know loved all of it i you know just the different variations of chicago blues and texas blues and and you know Delta blues and, and all that. And this book really does the same sort of thing for the different styles of blues mandolin playing, man. It's excellent. Well, thank you. Well, I got two more questions for you here, Rich. And um, the, the first question is uh, you got, I have people of all sorts of levels and this is really good um, because you play such a different style of music than, you know, than a lot of people who've been on the podcast so far. And I like to ask someone who've, if you would, if somebody's trying to pick up blues or some of what you do, and they only had ten minutes a day to work on something, what's something that you would recommend somebody to work on to just to, to get better at one one thing? It could be anything you think of. Well, I I like to start with uh, one of the oldest blues melodies that was recorded by the Mississippi Sheiks, and that's "Sitting on Top of the World." Uh, and it's a it's because so many people already are familiar with the tune, they'll be shocked at how different it is from the Monroe version. Because one, it's slow, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right, right. and it, and it has a B part, which is wonderful. Um, and so, I'd, I'd recommend you know you could work on that for a melody. Um, other than that, um, some Johnny Young it, is interesting because of the chords that he played. Um, you know, his uh, you can you can hear different seventh chords. 
Um, you know, you want to work on your seventh chords. That's an integral part of the blues. Um, Johnny Young would be one to listen to. Um, I can't think of any tunes that come to mind. Because it's so different, you know, it's really hard to, uh, you know, for a beginner but um, it can be taught, you know. I think that's a great start. And then, and then the final column, or the final question: What's your favorite beer? Well, my favorite beer is um, well, it's a toss-up between um, Shiner Shinerbach is a Texas love Shinerbach <laughs> Shinerbach, and uh, we have a local brewer, St. Arnold's uh, St. Arnold's Lawnmower. <laughs> Uh, I love that they come up with these crazy uh, names on them. And I guess my, my go-to when I need something special is Guinness. Oh, yeah. It's classic. I, I got hooked on that from way back. Well, Rich, this has been a pleasure. I love your music. I'm so glad that you took the time today to uh, to talk with me. It's been inspiring. Oh, listen, I, I appreciate you asking me, including me. I'm honored that you did. Because you mentioned some of the other folks you've had, and I'm you know, to be on the list like that is a real honor. Thank oh, you. man. Well, your spot was well-earned, my friend. Thank you for everything you've done. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, Rich's book is so good. Really, we talked about it a few times. You can pick it up at his website. I'll have all the uh, links that you'll need right there at mandolinsandbeard.com. Again, no regular episode next week, but on Monday, I believe, I'll be dropping a brand new track by track. Be sure to check that out. It's a really good one with some with some some hot news in it at the end of it. And uh, Sharon Gilchrist, be sure to sign up for her Peghead Nation Zoom course that's coming up as well. Thanks to my sponsors. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, Talk to you in the new year. Cheers, everybody. Be safe.